Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. Well, what's going on, folks? This is M.A. Dozer with another Nimrod Outdoors podcast, and uh, today I want to talk to you about grace and truth and how we as a culture live in a pendulum that just swings from one extreme to the other. Um, I really want to focus on uh, where Jesus stood in that swing of the pendulum. But in life in general, in anything, we as human beings have a uncanny ability to push everything to the extremes, one way or the other. I mean, think about politics, think about sports, think about religion, um, any just minute conversation about things that have no matter in, in, in life at all. Um, we as human beings, because we are a passionate person, we are passionate in what we believe, um, man, we, we throw things to so much extreme. And uh, a good example of that is I love to bow hunt. Um, and my brother-in-law loves to bow hunt as well. And in bow hunting over the past, I'd say, decade, decade and a half, the pursuit uh, for the arrow was to make the arrow as light and as fast as possible. Um, and so you saw massive changes in arrow design and broadhead design, um, all in order to try and get that arrow to go as fast as it possibly could out of the bow. And uh, just in the recent years, um, there has been a, another school of thought in the fact of, well, that arrow may be fast, but is, is, is it inflicting as much damage as possible uh, to the uh, animal or to the target in which you are trying to pursue? And so now there's a school of thought that is gaining great momentum, and it's make your arrow as heavy as possible. Um, and instead of having a small aerodynamic broadhead at the front, you now have a big broadhead that does a lot of cutting damage, uh, but is heavy. Um, and man, let me tell you what, uh, my brother-in-law and I spoke for almost an hour. Um, and you could get, once you get into the hunting community, the archery community, I mean, there is um, arguments on either side and they are they are extreme and they are vehement. And man, I think in our world today, like in the age of social media, um, I know I'm talking about archery and broadheads and arrows right now, but take anything, take sports, take politics. Because of the age of social media, we have the ability to sit behind the computer and voice our opinion and it not have the saltiness of grace involved in it. Um, we are just like a battering ram, ram coming up to a door and we're like, we're going to knock that door down at all costs. Um, when in reality, uh, we have the keys in our pocket and we could just gently open that door and walk in. But no, we want to beat it down. And so I want to talk about just how we as a society and we as a culture and we as human beings ride this pendulum from one extreme to the other. Um, you know, again, I mentioned politics. I mean, you have Republicans and you have Democrats and you have conservatives and you have liberals. And, and man, we, we as a people, especially here in America, are on two polar opposites. And yet, I want to talk about 
where Jesus stood in the mix of all this. Where did Jesus stand in the mix of truth and grace? And so really there's two stories in the Bible that come to mind when I'm thinking about this and, and praying over it. And it's Jesus' interaction with two individual ladies in the Bible. And the first one I want to cover is the woman at the well. And so that's we find this uh, we find this account that I'm going to read to you in John chapter four, um, and I'm going to start in verse seven, and it says, "A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink," for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria?" For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right, saying, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. And you have said, What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place in which people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe in me. The hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So I'm going to stop right there. Um, That's stopping in verse 21. And I know that was a little bit of a long read, but here's here's what I want to talk about is. So Jesus first comes to this well and there's a Samaritan woman and he starts asking for a drink, which in reality is. And a complete no-no in the Jewish culture. And the Samaritan woman acknowledges that and says, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. We should not be talking. Um, But what I find way interesting is if we're talking about this pendulum swing of grace and truth and where we're supposed to be, um, obviously we're supposed to speak truth. Um, That is the gospel of Christ. And we want to give people truth. The truth will set them free. Um, but we also need to model grace um, and because that's how Jesus modeled it. Um, but I want to talk about the truth aspect in this story here um, and talk about our culture and our society today and, and kind of pick out some of the flaws and s- some of the um, issues we have as a culture. And so let's go to verse 16, and, and it says, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So I want you to try and put yourself in the Samaritan woman's shoes 
and realize you just met this person, a complete stranger. She just met Jesus, had no clue who he was. And yet, in ultimate truth, Jesus laid all her sins out on the table for her to see and for anybody else that was around to see. Yes, this might, I mean, by all accounts, we think it was just Jesus and her at the well, so it was a private conversation. But even then, even then, someone she just met, and he starts calling out her sins in extreme truth. My question for us today is, as individually and as a society, would we be able to handle that well? See, I like to sit here and be like, well, man, it was Jesus, and he's telling me the truth, but she didn't know who he was. We have the ability to know who he was because of we're now on the backside of the story, but she had no clue. And so in our culture today, I see people getting ultimately offended by Jesus pulling out the truth and laying it on the table and telling her exactly who she was and what she had done. But see, in our world today, anytime somebody wants to tell you truth about your sins or tell you truth about how you're acting or tell you the truth about, hey, this is what Jesus did and you're not lining up with it, man, we get so bent out of shape and we get sideways. And and really at the end of the day, that sin in itself is just pride because we don't want to be called to the table. We don't want our sins to be exposed we're okay with exposing other people's sins. We're okay getting on social media and, and yelling at other people about their sins. But when somebody comes and, and puts our sins on the table, we get offended. And I can imagine it now, like, if she was in 2022 and she was in our culture today and Jesus said this to her, I can imagine her being like, well, who are you? Like, why do you have the right to tell me that? Don't judge me. Only God judges me. Or you don't even know me. You can't talk about me. You don't know me. Um, you know, giving every every defense she could. But what, what is she saying in response? She says, you are right in what you have said. And sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. She was amazed and she was enamored. And so I, I look at that and I'm like, man, how did she respond like that? Like, how did she, how did she have the ability to, you know, I'm sure society itself, I mean, she was there in the middle of the day drawing water because society and what she lived in in that day and time outcasted her and would talk bad about her and would, and would say mean things and, and probably truthful things. I mean, they probably would say the same thing, man, there's that woman that's had five husbands. But yet, when Jesus did it, she sat and listened. And so I started diving in saying, okay, why, why did she listen to Jesus? And I think a lot of times we want to sit here and be like, well, he was Jesus. He was, but she had no clue who he was. And so we have to take it from the perspective of he is just a regular dude sitting at the well in her mind. And so I go back and I kind of read over the story and I find that Jesus himself showed immense grace before he gave the truth. So what does it say? As a Samaritan woman, she's saying, why, why are you talking to me? For, I, for you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Well, Jesus saw her and knew culturally that the reason why she was there at the well was because she was a promiscuous woman. 
He would have known that culturally. So Jesus interacts as w- with this woman, not only of a different nationality, not only of a different descent, but a woman that the only reason she would be there drawing water in the middle of the day is because society itself had rejected her. And so she's fully expecting to never, never interact with anybody again. And Jesus interacts with her in very grace and loving way and begins a relationship with her. I mean, from verse 7 until verse 16, the end of 15, Jesus is having a open and honest and just loving, friendly conversation with her. It wasn't until verse 16 in which he really laid her sins out. And so from verse 7 to verse 15, Jesus is building a relationship. He is building a, a opening in which they can have friendly conversation. He didn't just come up to her and just hit her over the head with truth. No, he spent time getting to know who she was and allowing her to get to know who he was, even though admits this is probably just a little five-minute conversation. What it did was it opened the door for her to know that he was willing to talk to her and see her who God created her to be rather than just coming up to her and telling her, hey, you are nasty. You are a promiscuous woman. You don't deserve anything. You are being a simple person. No, Jesus loved her first and then came and gave her truth. My question today is, as believers, if we call ourselves believers, are we able to give people hard truth? Are we able to look and see in which people are doing things that are wrong and are we able to give them truth? And man, here's the pendulum swing in our culture and our church culture today is we have people that are either on extreme grace or we have people that are on extreme truth. And the problem with extreme grace is is it keeps, you know, keeps everything copacetic, keeps everything very nice and orderly and, and, you know, things run smoothly, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, we are condemning souls to hell because we are not willing to confront them with the truth of the gospel that they need Jesus and what they are doing is wrong. And so even though our life may be simple and easy, there's going to be eternal suffering and reckoning that come because we sit on too much grace. Now, on the other side, we have a subsect of the Christian culture that is all about truth and all about, you know, what the truth means. And by all means, we need to talk about truth and we need to give truth because that is what set people free. But if we do not have it coupled with grace, all we are doing is being a battering ram coming into culture and just decimating people. Because here's here's the ability of truth is truth does have the ability to set you free. But if done in wrong intentions and done improperly, all it does is put shame, the weight of shame on people. And when it puts the weight on weight of shame on people, what happens is they get crushed underneath that weight and they never turn back to Jesus because they find themselves unworthy and unwilling. And this is where Jesus stands. Jesus stands in the middle. And that's the amazing part about Jesus is when culture says, oh, you got to be more grace filled or you got to be more truth filled. Jesus literally stands at the middle 
And I think of it this way. I think of him on the cross with his arms outstretched. And there's a tension to manage between his left arm and his right arm. And it says that he loves us as far as the east is from the west. So if you think about these two things, Jesus is standing in the middle of these pendulums, holding on to grace and truth. And when the world wants to pull in one direction or the other, he is sitting there holding them together and saying, no, we are going to stand in the middle because this is where God lives. He gives ultimate grace. And he gives ultimate truth. And when he gives ultimate truth, it comes along with grace right with it to say, you did mess up, but guess what? You were forgiven. And when he gives ultimate grace, which we're going to get into in a minute, he ends it with ultimate truth to propel them closer and closer to who Jesus created or who God created them to be. And so let's dive into one more story. And that is the woman at the well. And John chapter 8 it's the woman caught in adultery and it says <clears throat> well let's start here let's start in verse three and it says the scribes and the pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now the law of moses commands us to stone such woman so what do you say they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him Jesus bent down and wrote his finger on the ground. And then as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down toward the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And, Jews was, and, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up, on, stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. And so here's the thing is this woman was caught caught in adultery. And by Jewish law, by the law of Moses, it says for her to be stoned. Well, here's the truth of the matter. Culturally and according to the Bible, so the law of Moses, according to the Old Testament, she rightfully deserved to be stoned. But what did Jesus do? Jesus gave ultimate grace and forewent the gospel or forewent the law of Moses. And a lot of people would say, man, that's that's heretical. Like that's God's word. Like you went against God's word. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus, again, saw this woman as God had created her a daughter of Christ. And what Jesus ultimately put forth in here was that none of us are worthy of the salvation that Jesus gives us. None of us are. We are all dirty. We are all sinful. We all need as much grace as possible in this world because if it, if it went solely off a of truth, which is the law of Moses, we should all be condemned and all should be stoned to death. And what I find interesting is I was actually just listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago about Jewish culture. And how when we talk about, you know, Jesus talks about adultery and, you know, he says, you say don't sleep with another woman. But he says, even if even if you lust after another woman, you are considered adult, an adulterer. And, I, you know, I've read that, read that, read that. But what I found interesting was that this pastor in Jewish culture basically was saying that the Jewish synagogues would bend the rules of Moses so that it fit into their lifestyle, what they want to do. And so what Jesus was actually saying here, because 
the Jewish religious elite bend the laws and saying that, well, if I have, if I sleep with another Jewish man's wife, that is adultery. But if I sleep with a Samaritan woman, or if I sleep with a woman of another nationality, or I sleep with a slave, or I sleep with a woman that, um, you know, is not Jewish, it's not adultery. And that is wrong. That is not right. But see, that's where culture began to bend the truth in order to allow it to fit into their narrative. And so what Jesus came to him and was saying was, hey, you say that's not adultery according to the law of Moses, which they changed. But Jesus flipped it on its head and said, hey, no, even if you look at another woman in lust, you have committed adultery. And so he, he erased the board. So he took the law in which man had changed in order to make it easier and better for them. And he, he put even more truth to it, but there's ultimate grace there. And what you see in the woman caught in adultery is Jesus gave her ultimate grace first. And the fact of he, he took the sin in which she was most definitely caught in. It wasn't like they were falsely accusing her. She was accused rightly in this. And he took her accusers and he confronted them with the truth that they were sinful too and gave her ultimate grace. But then at the end, he said this. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. So that's ultimate grace. And then he backs it up with truth. And he says, and from now on, sin no more. So in that comment, sin no more. From now on, sin no more. He acknowledges her sin. He acknowledges that she is wrong and that she deserves what she was about to get. But that she was given ultimate grace and was given the truth. And the truth set her free. And so, again, we see Jesus literally standing in the middle of grace and truth. And it's a tension to manage in which we need to understand and we need to um, try and harness ourselves in our, own, in our own life and how we interact with the world and how we interact with non-believers and how we interact with believers. Um, you know, it is something that we need to model after Jesus because too many times, we want to swing the pendulum too far to grace and or too far to truth. And in both scenarios, we are not benefiting the kingdom of Christ because we are not doing it in the way that Jesus modeled or Jesus told us to. So in Ephesians chapter four, verses um, starting in verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed and fro by the waves and carried about in every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So listen, like that's, that's the pendulum, right? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about it like waves on the ocean being tossed to and fro. But he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So doctrine of grace or doctrine of truth Let's not be tossed away by everyone. Let's stand in the middle. And he says, by human schemes, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So in verse 15, it says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint and marrow with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
And so what I find awesome here is talking about Jesus with his arms outstretched on the cross with ultimate grace in one hand and ultimate truth in the other, literally holding, holding those two opposing forces together in order to bring salvation to the world. And it says, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and was held together. So if we think of the body being torn apart by grace, too much grace, and, and ultimately hitting people over the head with truth, Jesus stands there and holds it together, one hand and another. One other verse uh, that I'd like to close with is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's verse 15. And it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that you, so that when you are slandered and those who rival, rival the good behavior in Christ, you, they may be put to shame. So here's the thing. Always be ready to give truth. Always be ready to tell why you believe what you believe in Jesus Christ. But do it with gentleness and respect, understanding that that person that you're talking to, as vile and as wrong and as sinful as they may be, just like the woman at the well who deserved nothing but ostracization and death because she was a promiscuous woman, we give them ultimate grace by loving them and respecting them, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for them just like he died on the cross for us. You know, there was a, a situation in my own life um, in which ultimate truth was given to me. Um, and I respected it. Uh, I was a high school baseball player looking to go to college. It was my senior year. And so I was visiting schools left and right. And there was a school in, um, Salisbury, North Carolina called, uh, Catawba college uh, It's a small division two college, but they had a phenomenal baseball program and they had an amazing, amazing stadium, an old school stadium that I loved. Um, and so I set up a meeting to go see the coach thinking that, Hey, I'll go and I'll take, uh, take my, my glove and my bat and maybe do a little workout for him. And, uh, so we set a time and I went, uh, and I remember his name was coach Gant and I walk on the field and, uh, he comes up and he shakes my hand. And, uh, I said, uh, coach Gant, I said, I'd love to love to have the opportunity to play for you. And without missing a beat, he looked at me and he said, he said, Mr. Dozier, he said, I appreciate you wanting to come play for us. He said, but I think it would be best that you went somewhere else that you were more suited for. And man, I like, I was like, he hasn't even seen me throw a ball. He hasn't seen me hit. He hasn't even seen my skills. Like he's just straight judging me off of what he sees. Um, but in reality, I was a small kid. I was short. Um, I had a lot of athletic ability. I probably had a, uh, major league arm in which I could throw uh I could I could throw the ball real far um and so I played outfield but he knew what he was looking for and he knew what he was looking for in an athlete and I did not fit that bill and so without dragging me out and saying hey yeah man you come play and literally me probably sitting on the bench for four years never getting an opportunity to play he gave me ultimate truth and said hey this isn't the program for you. And I remember my pride was hurt. And I got in the car and I couldn't understand. I was like, he didn't even give me a chance. But the more and more I look back on it, I'm like, man, I am so respectful for Coach Gant because 
he gave ultimate truth to me that maybe I didn't want to hear and maybe hurt my personal pride, but ultimately propelled me into a much better spot in which I could go and play college ball and actually have an opportunity to play. Um, and man, I, I respect that. But on the other end too, um, you know, he didn't do it, didn't do it in a disrespectful way. Um, and so there was an ultimate truth there that actually propelled me into a better situation in life. Um, and so truth can be a very useful thing, but grace itself can also be useful. And so we need to marry those two together. Um, and I'll end with this. Uh, my dad told me a saying just, just a couple weeks ago that his dad told him, um, and it's this, always tell the truth, but you don't always have to be telling it. And so here's, here's what that means, is saying that if anybody asks you something or confronts you about something, we always need to stand on the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. But if we are going to use that truth as a battering ram in order to shame someone or put someone down instead of build them up in who Christ is, we don't need to be opening our mouth. It is better for us to stay silent, even though truth may be coming out. It is in how we say it and how we use it. Are we using it to build the kingdom of Christ or are we, are you, are we using it to explode, expose flaws in other people? Just like the religious leaders did with the adulterous woman, they were using truth and they were right. They were truth. It was the law of Moses. She should have been stoned. That was what was just and what was right and they were using it but they were using it in order to shame her and to put her down and to trap Jesus. And what Jesus did was he took that truth in which they were trying to use in, in a awful way. And he brought immense grace along with it and married them together in which he now told her, I do not condemn you, but go sin no more. Think about that as we go out and we t try to change the world for the gospel of Christ and for the kingdom of Christ. Stay humble, stay focused, and keep pressing forward. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day, and we hope to see you next time.